Now back to On the Block with Strick and Austin on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Back here on the block, 93.7 The Ticket. Thanks for being along for the ride with us here on your hump day. We're going straight to the Honda of Lincoln hotline. Welcome in Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald. Evan, how's it going today? Hey guys, happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday to you as well. Evan, were you at the uh, the Nebraska Creighton games yesterday for a College World Series preview, or is that just a Nebraska Creighton game? <laughs> well, wouldn't that be something? Uh, probably not. I think you'd uh, have to see some pretty extreme hot streaks by both of those teams at this point. Um, but it, the thought did cross my mind, man. I'm, I should be out there quite a bit with the Big Ten tournament and College World Series coming up. But, uh, yeah, it was a great night for baseball, and they had a pretty good crowd, too. Uh, night didn't start out great for Nebraska. Of course, they resumed the game uh, that got rained out from uh, when would that have been? April 18th. Yeah, they resumed that one at 4-4. Bases loaded, nobody out for Nebraska. They get one out of it. That's it. They get one run. Creighton scores two to end up winning. Didn't feel like the night started off great, Evan. What did you see in those last three innings there? Yeah, it was disappointing. I mean, that's the one that sort of felt like you almost had the win in hand. I mean, the the sort of the run expectancy in those situations, bases loaded, nobody out is at least two, you know, two and change. So you think you get two or three runs late in the game. You got Chase Shannon on the mound. You feel pretty good about your chances of winning that thing. And instead, they get a sack fly uh, to, to take the lead, but then a double play. And then Creighton comes right back with a hit by pitch and a couple RBI hits to take the lead in the eighth. So, you know, it was just a weird deal where you have three weeks to sort of envision that situation where you know who's on the mound, you know who's at the plate, you know the situation. And I just think it felt like a little bit maybe more of a gut punch than usual, um, again, because you felt like that game was almost in hand based on where it was. And, and it was uh, a very unique situation. I know both sides kind of felt like it was strange because you think back to three weeks ago, when Nebraska had loaded the bases, it you could feel the momentum had shifted and they were in a good spot. And then there was severe weather in the area and the thing got banged. And it was just a much different vibe when it picked up at 5 o'clock on a weekday afternoon uh, Tuesday. Um, but definitely disappointment and, and you know credit Nebraska for how they were able to come back in the second one. Let's talk about that second game. Uh, Nebraska down 3-2. to two. Uh, after two innings, but then the Huskers score in the fifth, sixth, and seventh, the sixth inning being the one that really busted it open. Let's talk about Corbin Hawkins first. He gets the save. What did you see from him last night in shutting the Blue Jays down? He's got a fun story, man. I mean, just his his path to these high-leverage roles, like it's not been something that he's uh, been anointed at all. I mean, he's had to earn it every step of the way. He's got that unorthodox sort of delivery um, almost, almost an under uh, a sidearm sort of a deal, uh, where it looks like he's throwing a frisbee, and you can tell like it it throws opposing hitters off. And you look up at the radar gun, and it's usually topping out at I don't know 87, 88 miles an hour, and it's just hard for opposing hitters to track it. And you know I, he, he's turned into a really nice change of pace for Nebraska. I think that that game particularly, you can credit Kyle Perry too for what he was able to do. That was probably his best appearance of the year where he goes four plus innings and um, keeps things relatively clean for Creighton or against Creighton as well. 
Um, and that's what Nebraska needed. Like with a big series against Penn State this weekend, you were not going to see them burn uh, a lot of their pitchers. You, you really were looking for somebody who could maybe take control of that game and give them some length. And 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 Perry and Hawkins were able to do that, and that's why um, you know they, they hold Creighton to four runs and pull away late. Evan, we'll get to the the two remaining Big Ten series, including the one against Penn State this weekend in a sec. But as you look at this Nebraska team, two weekends to go in Big Ten play before a potential Big Ten tournament berth, is there a magic number for the offense to hit in terms of runs scored that makes Nebraska feel good about where it's at, given the the pitching inconsistencies? Um. You know, quite honestly, it's it's kind of been the other way around. Where I believe it's the, the the magic number is is on the pitching side. Where I think it's if you if Nebraska holds its opponents to four runs or fewer, it hasn't lost a game this year. I want to say it's twenty three and zero in those Ooh. situations. So that's sort of your magic mark. And, and and they hit it again last night where they hold Creighton to four and are able to win that thing. And you know it, that can speak to both sides. That can speak to you know when when the Pitching is efficient, they win, but I think just as much it speaks to the fact that the offense has been pretty consistent. I mean, they're still a top uh, 70 or so scoring unit in the country, and I think when you look at a record like the one I just mentioned, that really uh, illustrates how consistent that offense has been, where you you kind of have a pretty good idea for the most part what that output's going to be. You have a pretty good idea that Max Anderson and Bryce Matthews and maybe Gabe Swanson – are going to come through in these clutch moments. It's all been about what do you get from your starters? Does your bullpen come through late in these games, uh, especially in you know maybe the sixth, seventh, eighth? And if those if those things align, Nebraska uh, is a pretty darn good team. Now, when they don't, when they're playing from behind and they're trying to chase runs, uh, I mean the record's kind of the opposite of that. They're like four and twenty or something in those situations. So, I think that's that's been the formula that they felt like they had before the season, but it's really accentuated where if, if they're leading in the middle in, innings and they're holding their opponent uh, to a reasonable run total, there's a good chance they're going to win. So I think you, you have a pretty good sense early on most days, most games, which way it's going to go for Nebraska. And I think that can be a positive this time of year as you're trying to map out how you're going to get enough wins to continue play into the postseason. You need to bank some of those wins uh, these next two weekends in Big Ten play. Nebraska sitting at 10-8 and eight right now in conference play, tied with Michigan, and then the team they'll play in a couple weeks, uh, weekends, and that's Purdue. But on tap first uh, at home, Penn State, 6-11. and 11. Nittany Lions are still mathematically in contention for Omaha, right, Evan, if my math is right? Yeah. I mean, they're only uh, three and a half games out. They still have six to play. So these are... I mean, they're they're more in desperation mode certainly than Nebraska is right now, and uh, they've got Maryland and their last weekend after Nebraska, so they're in a in a really tough spot. I think they're they're mathematically alive, but you know when I look at the race, I kind of see nine teams for eight spots, and I, I don't honestly consider Penn State among them just because of how their schedule finishes out and, and sort of the hole that they've dug themselves coming off of being swept by Rutgers. Um, so you know it's they've had their moments like they've won a few series and uh, they're, they're not a bad team. I don't think by most measures um, they're a decent scoring lineup, average pitching, average defense. Um, you know, fun fact, one of their starters, Travis Lindsman's the brother of former Husker Chad Lindsman. So you have that uh, kind of a fun little uh, familial tie there as well. But 
I mean, it, it's absolutely a series that you would think Nebraska uh, would be favored to win uh, on paper, certainly. I think it's just the, the question is the same as it's been about this team for a long time, which is less about the talent and more about are you focused on a given day? Are you in the right space uh, emotionally, mentally, to go out and take care of business? And if, if you're not at this point, then it's probably not going to happen. But, um, you know, coming off of that Creighton win late Tuesday, the guys did – uh, we talked to at least did kind of feel like maybe that could be uh, a, a bit of a turning point where they could take that momentum into the weekend, bank a series win, and then it sets up, uh, you would think, a series at Purdue where maybe it's not quite as desperate as it was at this time last season. Did the Big Ten do that on purpose, given everything that went down <laughs> between Nebraska and Purdue last year, make these two teams play the final series of the regular season? <laughs> I hope so. I hope there's somebody out there who has a has a sense of storylines and maybe a little bit of a sense of humor about that whole thing. And you can bet, man, like Nebraska's aware of that thing. And, and you've already heard the jokes about like the tarps already on the field at Purdue. And <laughs> if they can find a way to cancel it to benefit themselves, they're going to do it. But um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a there's a part of me that, that just loves entertaining storylines that would love to see uh you know that uh, some of that that postseason fate for Nebraska or Purdue come down to that last weekend, and you can bet uh, people are going to be pulling up their weather apps too, just to kind of see what the radar is like out there in West Lafayette. But uh, there's, there's no doubt there's an extra layer of spice for that particular series in a week. Speaking of an extra layer of emotion, probably the last home games for Bryce Matthews and Max Anderson against Penn State on Sunday. Are they going to walk for Senior Day? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know officially if they plan to, but whether they do or not, they need they deserve to be recognized because it, it is, for all intents and purposes, their last three games at Haymarket Park. Uh, you know, it's a pretty safe bet that both of those infielders are going to be top five round picks in July. And when you look at the season that they've had this year, they've only added to their draft stock. So, um, you know, I, I would I would think that they probably would. Typically, guys that are, you know, trending in that direction over the years have been acknowledged by the crowd and gotten some sort of, um, you know, jersey or, or piece of memorabilia or something. Um, so you would hope that they would. Uh, it's, it's been a, a great, really fun run for those guys the last three years. And what they've done this year, kind of having their own individual triple crown race, probably the best triple crown race Nebraska baseball has ever had internally has been pretty cool. And, and what those guys have meant to this team, this program um, is special. And so, yeah, I, I don't know specifically if they uh, are going to hear their names and sort of wave to the crowd, but you can bet like this weekend and then whatever's left of their season, this is the time to really relish and savor what those guys are all about because it does not come along every day, the kind of production and the kind of people those guys are. We're talking with Evan Blaine of the Omaha World Herald here on the block. Evan, switching the football for just a moment here, a couple walk-ons got scholarships for Nebraska football in Nate Borkature and John Bullock. Uh, let's start with Borkature in the, the tight end room. We still don't know if Eric Gilbert is going to get his waiver, you know, I don't know how to phrase it, if he's going to be cleared to play, I guess, uh, this fall. Mm -hmm. The NCAA has to go over that. Do you think that he has good odds to do that? And if he doesn't, does that make Nate Borkature your starting tight end? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say with the waiver stuff, like you just, it's hard. You don't know what the NCAA is going to do. Um, and, and, and just so people understand the hangup with that is that he's already transferred once previously. And so you don't get that free transfer 
if you do it again, uh, unless that there are uh, what the NCA would deem extenuating circumstances. So maybe uh, it, it would see it that situation as extenuating given some of the coaching changes. So you don't really know sometimes, and yet you don't know when those decisions will come down either. I know Matt rule said, I think on his show this week, that that was still something that they were waiting to hear on, but um, it, it's a really, it's a, it was a room that we kind of thought was deep already um, with Fedoni and Gilbert. Um, and, and I think Borkature's emergence really just adds to that. And we heard Marcus Satterfield, the OC say, last spring that, uh, you know, there could be situations where you could have two, three tight ends on the field at once that have different skill sets. Um, you know, Janaren Bonner is another guy who made that transition from receiver to sort of hybrid tight end who's played a little bit of fullback too. So it's a really diverse room with a, with very different skill sets. And even though Fedoni and Gilbert get the headlines um, for their recruiting backgrounds and pedigrees, um, Borkature is a guy who has come up often from coaches, not just this staff this spring, but even last year, um, Mark Whipple, Scott Frost, Sean Becton mentioned Borkature quite a bit as a guy who didn't drop passes, uh, more of that traditional inline tight end who was a reliable blocker as well. So, I, you know, there were rumblings a year ago that, that he would have seen more run had Travis Vokalek not been there and been the guy that he had been. And so I don't think it's shocking um, that, that he's sort of moving, moved into this uh, greater role of prominence. And the fact that he got a scholarship, I think it's pretty, based on what we heard over the last year, you know, if you were to pick a walk-on who was going to get that scholarship, I think Borkature would have been number one. And then Bullock, do you think he has a chance to crack the regular linebacker rotation? Do you think he's a special teams guy and a backup? What do you think is his role this fall? Yeah, he's been a little bit more of a recent emergence. I mean, he was somebody who Matt Rule and his staff have mentioned a lot this spring for rising. And, and you know, he moved from defensive back more into linebacker. So he, he could end up being one of those success stories that Matt Rule has on his resume of, of moving guys. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what his role is in Tony White's defense. I mean, he, he's versatile in the sense that he uh, – has a history in pass coverage and now uh, as a linebacker, maybe is being asked to be in the box a little bit more. Uh, and that's the kind of guy that they're looking for. Like guys who are out there and you don't know kind of what their role is going to be. Are they going to blitz? Are they going to drop back? Uh, you know, kind of remains to be seen. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the range of possibilities you laid out are probably about right. I mean, it, it seems like at this point he, he does have a floor of being a special teams guy and, maybe a rotational player at linebacker. And um, if things break the other way, maybe he <clears throat> emerges as, as more of a regular guy. I mean, sort of along the path of what Luke Reimer was a few years ago as a walk-on who uh, developed into an everyday starter. So uh, clearly somebody that the coaches uh, coaches like, somebody that um, you know has earned his scholarship based on what he did this spring. And um, you know, I think that's a linebacker group, sort of like tight ends, where there are so many different guys with different skill sets that you would think certainly he'll find a place just because of how versatile he is. Speaking of a range of possibilities, we won't talk to you until this has already happened, but a week from yesterday, uh, the NBA draft lottery is a number one mm. pick or bust for your beloved Spurs. Mm. Yes, it is. I, I, <laughs> I just looked that up the other day. I'm like, when, when's that going to happen? Because yeah, I mean, they, uh, they've they tanked all year, and, and maybe that uh, it'll be a party like 1997 when they got Tim Duncan with that number one pick and had 
20 years of uh, sustained excellence. So that's <laughs> probably a pretty lofty um, expectation or hope. But yeah, there's, there's no doubt they traded their best assets to, to stink this year. That was definitely mission accomplished. And uh, if they don't get the number one pick, I'll probably talk myself into uh, it being okay if they get a top <laughs> three or four pick in the deep draft. But yeah, uh, number one would be the goal. And when your history of number ones is David Robinson and Tim Duncan, um, you know, that's, that's a pretty good track record. So hopefully that can continue. I'll give you this choice. You get the number one overall pick and an unnamed coach to replace Greg Popovich, or you get a, a second through fourth pick, but you get Mike Budenholzer to take over for Pop. Which you taking? Uh, give me the first pick because Pop's got a deep coaching tree. I mean, there's a lot. He, he's had a number of assistants who've gone on to – uh, be head coaches elsewhere have had good success. I, I, I think the assistants that he still has uh, on staff are are guys who are sort of projected to be head coaches down the line. So I'm going to have faith in Pop's coaching tree, and and you get that number one pick in there. Um, I think you build around that, and and then you see what happens. Well, Evan, good luck to to you and the Spurs, I suppose, but mostly to you with the uh, <laughs> NBA draft lottery. Uh, thanks as always for your insight. We'll talk again next week. <laughs> thanks, Austin. See ya. Once again, Seven Bland of the Omaha World Herald with us here on the block. That's something that Trick and I are going to get into uh, early next week. The NBA Draft Lottery, we'll dive into that uh, later in the week. But for now, we got the shootout. Call now, 402-464-5685. Take on Strick in the shootout. $15 Buffalo Wings and Rings on the line for you. We'll play next.